So JB, I know you've been on here a couple of times and I love having you on. Um, you are definitely unique in your approach to messages and times. And I've got both of your books right here behind me, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1 and Volume 2. So before we get into this and I start my little notes that I'm going to stick with, Mm -hmm. some people here may know you, some people may not know you. And um, I just noticed a comment. Someone just ordered your two books. So amen to that. So go ahead and let us know who you are. Yeah, thanks, Kim. You always do such a great job. I really enjoy talking with you because it's just natural and easy. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of uh, TV and radio and and you make it easy. So I appreciate that. And uh, looking forward to this live stream tonight. So Not By Works Ministries has been around since 1999. Uh, it's a family run ministry. Uh, my wife and I and our six kids have run it. Now, most of the kids by now have flown the coop and either married or off in college or away from home, but uh, we still have a few hanging around and they help us with uh, running the business. It's, uh, it's you know, our, our core value is the clarity, urgency, and accuracy of the gospel. And everything we do, we try to present uh, the good news about Jesus Christ and how he paid our sin debt and offers the free gift of eternal life. But uh, the last 10 years or so, we've gotten heavily into Bible prophecy. It's always been a passion of mine. Uh, several of my books uh, through the years have been on that subject, and I've taught it. Uh, I was in academics for 12 years and taught eschatology at both the college and graduate levels. So it's a real passion of mine. But about 15 years ago, as I explained in the preface of uh, Volume 1, uh, the Lord, through a providential encounter, allowed uh, me to kind of wake up to the world as it really exists in terms of the spiritual warfare. And that led uh, my wife, Wendy, and I on a journey that has lasted now 15 years down the rabbit hole, really exploring uh, the truth and exploring uh, you know, historical facts and realities. And what we've come to realize is that very little uh, is as it appears or as it, we have been taught. And so... Um, about 10 years ago, I, my first book on this subject was The Great Last Day's Deception, and uh, I wrote that kind of early on in our journey into this uh, you know, topic uh, just because I was so overwhelmed and realized how urgent it was. I wanted to get something out there, uh, but the journey continued, and now 10 years later, uh, these two books really are the culmination of uh, this 15-year study. Uh, the premise, if I may, uh, of the series Spirit of the Antichrist comes from 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 3, where we are told, uh, well, actually in 1 John 4, 3, we are told, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you you have heard was coming, you know, the capital A, Antichrist is coming, Uh, after the rapture, he will take over the world at the behest of Satan to rule in a seven-year reign of terror, but uh, John goes on to say, and is now already in the world. So in other words, the spirit of that Antichrist is already at work. And earlier in 1 John, in chapter 2, he says, one Antichrist is coming, capital A, but even now many Antichrists have come. And so I got to thinking, uh, Kim, if if the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work and has been for 2,000 years of church history, uh, the closer we get to the end of the age, it follows that we should see an uptick or an upsurge in some of those Uh, spirits, some of the characteristics of the Antichrist. So uh, what we did in the books is uh, outline all of the biblical passages, uh, as far as in preparation for the books, outline all of the 
biblical passages that deal with the Antichrist came up with seven primary characteristics of that future man of sin. And then we took those seven characteristics, as I call them spirits, and we said, uh, do we see a rise in that type of behavior or activity in the world today? And boy, the answer was stunning. I didn't set out to write two books. It was going to be one book called Spirit of the Antichrist, but the material was so overwhelming that uh, we had to split it into two. So volume one came out in March. Volume two just came out uh, October 24th. So hot off the press. And uh, yeah, we we go through uh, a variety of topics. And I think uh, your listeners or viewers are probably eager to to dive into them, but to appreciate your your prayers. And you can, I know you're going to put this on the screen, but you can go to spiritoftheantichrist.org. Spiritoftheantichrist.org is a link we set up where you can preview the books. You can see the table of contents so you'll know all of the topics that we cover in each volume. And then you can also read the preface to each volume uh, and get a, a taste of what it's all about. So yeah, that's kind of a setting the stage here for what, what we're going to talk about. Awesome. So just so you know, um, when I went to the spiritoftheantichrist.org, it brought me, it reverted me right back to your Not By Works, the book, um, where to get the books. Right. Yeah. If you go to spiritoftheantichrist.org, it's going to mm -hmm. take you, I'll do it right now. Uh, it's going to take you to a page with the two books and it says, click here to order. If you click on it, uh, like if you click on volume one, that's where you can read the entire preface and see the table of contents and order the book if you want. Perfect. Okay. So um, I just, I wanted to flag that as well, because I know that you just gave that link. So when I clicked it, I was like, oh, there's nothing there. It brought well, there, me. So there was there. Yeah. It brings you to the two books, right? Correct. Yeah. It does. So, yeah. And then okay. it says on the books, it says, click here to order. If you click on either title, mm -hmm. it's going to take you to that Page. So that's just a landing page for both books. So okay. spiritoftheantichrist.org will get you where you need to go. Fantastic. So um, just so everyone is aware, um, the video that I had, again, that's why I wanted to do that test run the other night. So I'm still learning this and I apologize. There might be still some people on the other link, um, but we're here. So um, I texted Ruthie to see if she can get people over. Um, we do have a nice flow of people. Again, I'm little old me. So to have 41 people, I feel like that's 41 million in my world. Praise God. Okay. So um, some things as the paralegal in me, I always like to set the stage and you kind of covered some things in the beginning. So I do have to say that um, there's two sides of Kim, the one side that can be conspiratorial. And then there's the other side when I read some of what I read in your two volume set where I'm like, that's not true. I don't buy that because you've been doing this for a really long time. And I've told you this. I mean, anyone who knows me knows I'm going to be real. So um, it was, it's hard to digest. Let me be honest, right? A lot of it is hard to digest. So keeping that in mind, if I could show you all of the tabs, which I'm not, that I have in those books. This podcast would be 25 hours long. Mm -hmm. So we don't have time for 25 hours. We have time for maybe 90 minutes with a Q&A. Let me also please say this again, only questions pertaining to what we're discussing here today. Make sure you put the question, the whole entire question in all caps. So um, volume one is about, and I'm going to read this and then correct me where I'm wrong. So volume one is about 
the pretense of the spirit of the Antichrist. What that means is um, in, in volume one, JB examines the Luciferian conspiracy. He talked about topics such as Satan, demons, human agents working together to usher in the new world order, and then also a lot of other different nuggets. The two-volume set, however, as you just said, it covers seven, as I'll call them, signs or topics, pretense I just mentioned. In volume two, this is what we're going to discuss today is volume two. There's power, phenomena, pride, persecution, perversion, and pluralism. Did I miss anything? No, that's right. So just to clarify, the seven pretenses, as you just mentioned, are pretense, power, phenomena, pride, uh, persecution, perversion, and pluralism. And volume one, the entire volume, only deals with the first of those seven, the spirit of pretense, because the first few chapters we laid the there's a lot of scripture in there. We laid the foundation for the Luciferian conspiracy, as you said. So, yeah, you 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 uh, you correctly uh, d- described it. Correct. Um, and as I said, so if you're purchasing these books, please remember, um, JB is not a, a nutcase sitting somewhere out on Pluto. He's done massive amount of research. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people like me. He touches a lot of sensitive topics that may offend some Americans. Um, but you you really need to dive in. I, I've bought this book for um, my sister's boyfriend. This is an amazing two-volume set. And I'm not a reader. Everyone knows that. But I read it. So what I want to do is I want to quote what you wrote on page 71 So everyone in this chat and then post stream clearly understands that JB is not date setting. He's not putting everything that we see. Oh, that's a sign. And that's a sign. And that's a sign. He basically is letting us see where the world is going because the stage is being set. So you say, and I quote, let me look with this fan here. Quote, the rapture is the next great prophetic event to which the world looks forward. There are no biblical prophecies that must find fulfillment prior to the rapture occurring. It could happen at any moment. Nevertheless, if we heed Jesus's instruction to watch the signs of the times, we cannot help but notice the stage I caught my typo there being set for events that will transpire after the rapture, including the rise of the Antichrist, the seven-year tribulation period, the second coming, and the messianic kingdom. And if the stage is continuing to quote, if the stage is being set for those events, it means the rapture, I'm going to add in, hallelujah, is even closer. That's the end of the quote. So again, we'll have a Q&A of what we're going to dive into today, all caps, putting the word question. We're going to dive in beginning to end somewhat of this book because I don't want to leave anything out. When I mean this, this volume two was amazing. I'm not kidding you. I could not put it down. And I mean that, like, I just couldn't. So let's 
dive in. I want to quote something really quick again. Now I'm going to do some quoting from his book. Um, and I'm not the best reader and I don't want to butcher anything, but JB is really smart. So sometimes I might mess up a word. I'll just preface that <laughs> right now because <laughs> I'm not the best speaker. Anyway. Okay. So page 30, the Bible describes a quote, the Bible describes a time during the future tribulation when an evil world leader called the false prophet serving under the direction of the Antichrist will exert total control over the world's population. Quote, because he's quoting from a scripture, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. He was quoting Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. There was a time when such an eventuality seemed far-fetched, not anymore. So I'm really glad that you brought up the part of the false prophet, um, because I believe, as we've discussed previously, that the beast rides that religious system. There's going to be a great, definitely, deception, right? Religious deception. Nothing to do with your book. You can take two seconds to answer the question if you want. Do you think the false prophet is Jewish? Uh, I don't. Um, I think the Antichrist is most definitely not Jewish. He's Gentile. I just talked about this last week on Brandon House's show on Mike Lindell TV. Um, I mean, we don't know for sure, so I certainly wouldn't die on that hill, but I really believe both the, the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to be Gentile because they are, you know, contrary to everything the ultimate seed of Abraham stands for. Jesus is the ultimate seed of Abraham. And they are coming against the Jewish system. A lot of people speculate that, you know, the Antichrist might be Jewish because why else would the Jews, uh, you know, jump on the bandwagon? Well, that's an argument from silence. And Jesus has warned that the deception is going to be so great during that time that many will be deceived. I don't think it's going to matter whether he was Jewish or not. So, uh, no, I really, I, I, if I had to guess, I would say, no, uh, he's probably not. Okay. Um, so you know what I totally forgot to do in the midst of a poor live stream trying to get my coffee? Can I just digress for a moment? Do you guys mind if I digress for two seconds? I forgot to introduce this week's mug. <laughs> and this is the reason I chose this week. It is well with my soul. And I do have coffee in here, so I got to be careful. But it is. Everything that's happening, it is well within my soul because I know Jesus is coming. Amen. Sorry, totally forgot my mug, JB. I'm glad you have patience with me. Oh, of course. Of <laughs> course. We're all one big family here. Me, you, and a few million people watching online. If I had a few million people, I'd probably <laughs> faint. I'm already fainting at 50. So well, we're going to post like, this. We're going to post this at Not By Works when we're all done. And, uh, and we get quite a bit of traffic. So uh, no pressure. Right. No pressure at all. None. I have met a, a great family um, here on YouTube um, and just bonding with some of the channels that I've been on myself and they've been on here. It's just amazing. I love it because, you know, I feel like this is what eternity is going to be like. All of us just gathering, eating from the ribeye tree. I don't know if there's going to be a ribeye tree or filet mignon tree. I have no idea. 
Okay. So let's move on to while we're here. So again, another quote. Sorry. Sorry. So sorry, guys. I want to quote because we all know about Klaus Schwab and we all know his normal quote that everyone has quoted, every prophecy teacher, but you brought a new quote in this book from his new book, The Great Narrative. And I love how they do want to change our planet. And so I'm going to read, and then I would like for you to explain why what I'm going to quote here is really what is truly going on behind the scenes. So do you guys mind if I keep quoting from this book? So sorry. Okay. Page 32, quote, the pan- and this is from Klaus Schwab's new book, The Great Narrative. Quote, the pandemic has occurred at a very particular juncture. I find that very fascinating, those choice of words that he used there. When our economies and societies seem ill-suited to many of the challenges that lie ahead, when the geopolitical and technological landscapes are being reshaped in a way that will make them unrecognizable in just a few years. Now I'm quoting from you. He goes on, quote now from Schwab, solutions to the major challenges we face do exist and are within grasp, but they will require a great, this is just mind-blowing, a great deal of innovation, and listen to this, guys, and dramatic changes in our economies and societies. He doesn't stop there as well as in the institutions, laws, and rules that govern them. I'm reflected back to Daniel when he changes times in that verse that I can't think of. Our life habits and modes of consumption will also need to change drastically. The floor is yours, sir. So, yeah, I mean, the, in, the, in volume two, I've got uh, an entire chapter on Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and on um, transhumanism, which is, by the way, what these Luciferians, you know, are striving for. That's that's what they that's their driving passion is to create life and to merge man and machine or man and, you know, bio digital, as it's called. And I quote quite a bit of, of their sayings in the book. But um yeah, a lot of people are waking up to the reality that Klaus Schwab is really at the tip of the spear right now in this Luciferian conspiracy. And by the way, since we didn't, uh, many of our viewers may not have read volume one, and we didn't kind of spend a whole lot of time on that. Let me just clarify that, you know, there is unquestionably a Luciferian conspiracy, which, as you quoted from the book, uh, is made up of Satan, demons, and their human accomplices. Um and not only do we know that from historical fact, but we also know it from the Bible, because Psalm 2 talks about this conspiracy of world leaders that is trying to break the bonds of God's sovereignty and control and take over the world. So uh, what a lot of people today can refer to as, you know, the deep state uh, or the global elite, you know, they they come close, but they don't actually connect the dots all the way uh, to the top of uh, you know, this conspiracy the way the Bible does. And, you know, one of the things that happened in uh, in 2020, which I won't mention what that was, but I think everybody knows what we mean when we're talking about 2020, is it kind of awakened a lot of people to the fact that, you know, there's some shadow group out there controlling things. 
and you know life as we thought it existed doesn't really exist so i'm so thankful for that awakening uh because a lot of people are um you know buying these books and by the way uh volume 1 uh reached all 50 states we had uh, orders from all 50 states and uh two three countries volume 2 so far has 47 states it's only been out 2 weeks so by the way if you happen to live in Maine Vermont or Delaware and you're watching this please order the book because we'd like to check those three <laughs> states off of our list but uh anyway a lot of people are buying this book Kim who may not be believers they may not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior but they are fed up with with the system and the fact that um everything is controlled uh and you know we can prove that historically and certainly it comports with the biblical worldview so Klaus Schwab um not suggesting he's the Antichrist. You know, I do believe the Antichrist is alive today, just because as I look mm -hmm. at the signs of the times, I think we're getting close. Again, I can't say for sure, but that's my best guess. Um, but and I'm not saying he's the one, but he certainly is in the driver's seat right now, trying to usher in this one world religious, political, and economic system. Uh, and he can taste it. He's so close. Uh, he feels like it's going to happen in his lifetime. And you know, I'm sure we'll get there, but in chapter four of the second volume, I, I talk about the Luciferian timetable and show how in their own words, they have been saying for almost 100 years that the 2020s is the time, that this is the decade that they plan mm -hmm. to roll out the global government. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to happen because God is the ultimate arbiter of, of, of time and truth, Amen. but if they get their way, this, this is what's going to happen. So you actually just let in, um, and I didn't even provide you show notes. So guess where <laughs> I was leading into next? So we all know about Agenda 2030, but we're not going to talk about Agenda 2030 right now, JB. We're going to talk about something in your book that I had never heard of until I read your book. <laughs> so uh, Agenda 21. Give us oh, you a little have not heard of Agenda that. 21, huh? I have not. Yeah, I'm so, telling you, you yeah. guys have got to get this book. Just buy the book. <laughs> well, I would be surprised if some of your listeners uh, or viewers were not uh, familiar with it. Uh, it certainly gets a lot of airtime, uh, you know, especially after, over the last 10 years or so. But it really was rolled out in 1992. And the 21, and it's, a, by the way, it's a UN program. And at an Earth Summit meeting in uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, they kind of rolled it out and 178 governments, including the United States, signed on. And essentially, it was basically saying that by the 21st century, remember, this was in 1992. So Agenda 21 is referring to the 21st uh, century, not the year 2021, like a lot of people mistakenly thought, but rather the 21st century. So they uh, put in place a lot of regulations, and it, it goes hand in glove with this whole uh, uh, climate change uh, issue. Um, and so, but then uh, in Agenda 2030 uh, came together 23 years later, and basically, you know, now that they're that far into it, and most governments have kind of given up their national sovereignty, they may still have it technically, but they're essentially beholden to, you know, the, the globalist empire. Um, they said, okay, now we want to formally adopt Agenda 2030 for sustainable development. And it was put in place September 25th, 2015. And at that time, they said, within 15 years, we want to basically have a 
full 100% global government. Um, and, uh, and, and that's why this is all kind of converging. The World Economic Forum and the UN have essentially combined. They're basically, you know, two sides of the same coin now working hand in glove, or you might say hand in puppet. And, um, and, you know, they're, they're getting close. So here we are, what is this 2022 or eight years away. And mm -hmm. uh, by the way, well, I guess I can't, I don't want to get you in trouble on YouTube, but one of the major <laughs> events that happened back, you know, in 2020 uh, was uh, was really a pre-planned event that was setting the stage all along for this. You can say UFTA. You got yeah, UFTA. Yeah, UFTA. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, yeah, I mean, Agenda 2030 and Agenda 21 are both um, key, you know, documents and key blueprints for global enslavement and you know the one world government. Now. Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of you, but are you going to go next into some of the uh, uh, other signs of the times that point to the, the 2020s? No. So go ahead. Yeah. So in the book, in that chapter, chapter four of volume two, uh, I have a, a section called the Roaring Twenties, and I give several quotes from people like Alice Bailey, who, you know, was s s quoting demons and uh you know channeling demons uh nearly a hundred years ago some 80 to 100 years ago and you know she was basically she wrote 10,000 pages she was a theosophist a, a disciple of uh, Helena Blavatsky and uh and so it, she died uh, Alice Bailey died in 1949 but before she did she had she had produced over 10,000 pages that were published by she and her husband's publishing company called Lucifer Publishing Company uh, now it's called Lucius Trust. But anyway, she claimed to be channeled through a spirit guide or demon, a demon named Master DK. And in those pages, and again, this was almost 100 years ago, 80 years ago, she has 15 references to the year 2025. Because the demons who are working with Satan and with the, the Luciferians on earth uh, believe that every 100 years there's this uh, divine, not divine, but this uh, spiritual council of evil fallen angels that get together to kind of regroup and decide, you know, where where they think they are in their plan to overcome the world and, and, and defeat God, which of course we know they won't, but that's what they think. And the last one of those was 1925. And so they all are talking about the year 2025 as the next uh, they call it a hierarchical conclave. It's a basically a demonic strategy session led by Satan himself. Um, and, you know, they, they've been happening every hundred years since 1425. And, and so uh, it's just interesting to me, again, it doesn't mean it's going to happen because Satan is not omnipotent uh, or omniscient or omnipresent. So mm -hmm. he, you know, but they certainly are telegraphing their plans and, this is what the, the Luciferian uh, elite, uh, you know, believe will happen is that in the coming few years, you know, again, 2025, that's just three years from now, they think they're going to finally have taken over this world. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's important for us as believers to know the enemy and to recognize the spiritual warfare and to be sober, be vigilant, because our enemy, the devil, is walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We don't need to be scared of that, but knowing it, kind of helps us prepare for it. And if, in fact, this is the precursor to the end times, and, the, and according to God's timetable, known only to him, this is, you know, the 
We're, we're, we're knocking on the door of the end times with the rapture and the tribulation and Armageddon and the second coming and all that follows, uh, then, mm. you know, we, we should be prepared for that. Agreed. So uh, just to digress for a moment, um, <laughs> I know everyone uses the analogy with Christmas. So while you were chit-chatting, I was doing a poll. So I do apologize. I was listening while typing. Um, but uh how close i mean do you think like i know we're seeing signs like everywhere like for really even the mid half of the tribulation it's like and again we're not going to date set we know that but i mean you're feeling it too right this like any day now that's what i feel like i woke up again like oh we're still here yeah i mean i feel like if you do what jesus tells us to do in matthew 16 which is to look at the signs of the times it seems like just about every frontier has been conquered um, and the one remaining frontier, which they are seeking to conquer, is the creation of life. You know, uh, they've conquered language and they've conquered gender, or they think they have, and they've conquered just about every other aspect. But you know, gender, of course, is a is a direct assault. I have a whole chapter on this in the new in the volume two. I think it's chapter thirteen, but it's, I call it the gender surrender movement. That's a direct assault on the image of God in man. Um, yeah. and so. You know, they're getting close, but with this transhumanist agenda, you know, they think they can actually become God. Someone asked Elon Musk, uh, do you believe in God? And he said, not yet. And in the, in the context yeah. was, he thought, well, I, I you know, we're going to create him, you know, so we're, we're getting mm -hmm. there. We're, we've, got, we've created these AIs. I have a fascinating in the transhumanism chapter in the book, uh, Transcript. Some of you may have seen this in the news, but I included just about the whole transcript, uh, a, a huge portion of it anyway between that Google engineer and an AI. And it's the, the Google engineer who was so horrified as he was doing this interview with the AI that he, he realized it had pretty much become sentient and human. And so he blew the whistle. He said, wait a minute, guys, I think we've gone too far. And so they fired him. Google fired him, claiming he violated his non-disclosure agreement. And so, but he's he's been out doing the rounds. But if you read that interview, uh, and I think it's in chapter, uh, let me see, it's in chapter two, no, chapter three, excuse me, chapter three of, of uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, volume two. You will forget after the first couple of paragraphs that you're, what you're reading is actually, you know, a, a computer. <laughs> it's not mm -hmm. a person. You will think you're, you're witnessing a dialogue between two people. Um, the engineer even asks the AI to give his analysis of a novel and i mean it is bizarre that the connections this ai draws so anyway um back to your question I, you know again obviously we don't set dates and we're, we don't have the mind of god but the stage is certainly being set and i know people have said this for hundreds of years um you know every generation looks and sees developments that they oh you know this could be the mm. mark of the beast for example well you know there's a huge difference between a upc code or an rfid chip and you know cbdc's which were which i talk about in the book and just did a presentation on a couple of weeks ago at a conference uh which can literally track every single human being on earth um so it just if you look around you, you just have to think, you know, come Lord Jesus, it can't be much longer. But if the Lord tarries is coming, according to Proverbs 22, 3, we have a duty to be prepared and to live out lives uh, fighting for truth and 
standing firm for the gospel and sharing Christ with others and doing what God has us here to do until he comes. We can't just drop out of society, move to a mountaintop and stick our head in the sand. We've got to, you know, we've got to keep keep on keeping on. Uh, but it sure seems like the time is short. I agree. So um, when I put the poll up, so um, a lot of people, it's kind of like, everyone wants you to talk about all of the secret societies. So uh, we're going to kind of save that for last. Let's just move forward through the book. Well, but before I continue, can we do just I get a vote? Think, um, no, I don't. <laughs> well, what if I'm the one who knows it? So you can just give us little snippets. Of what if what I manipulate are. the vote? I mean, that's the American way these days, it seems. Um, <laughs> you can't. I, I, no. <laughs> I, I put in the chat there that I would love to talk about uh, Skull and Bones. So for what that's worth, I think Skull that's and Bones? very relevant. Okay. You know? Then that's what we'll that's what we'll land on. Um, so with that being said, if I can please get everyone in the chat, please, 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 Ruthie. I have also stolen her from uh, Pablo's serpents and doves. So thank you, Ruthie, for being my moderator. I'm not used to having someone do something for me. So letting go of control, I've been anxious um, all day because I don't know what that's like. So, but if everyone can just give Ruthie lots of hearts and. Um, I don't know, hello emojis and little, I don't know, love taps. Um, okay, so chapter five, you did a deep dive, as we said, on the secret societies. And we're going to save the order of skull and bones for the end. We're not going to get into that now. So I'm going to put that on the back burner and I'll put my little sheet of paper here so I know that we're coming back to that. Oh, look at all that love. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. The next thing you talked about in your book, and again, I mean, you brought me back. I mean, because hopefully no one gets offended in the chat, but everyone thinks that America was this amazingly awesome Christian founded nation. And I'm not saying that some of our founding fathers didn't have biblical principles, but really, I think our country has been a hot mess since its inception. Um, and I, again, God's not shocked that America came about. America is not in Bible prophecy. Trump is not going to save the world. Um, neither is my governor, DeSantis. So, um, and if I could just digress, I mean, I don't know who was writing for Trump, but hello, you're going to tick off 26 million Floridians if you keep calling him to sanctimonious. I don't know that. Anyway, I know you spoke about him in your book as well. So I think I'm listening to more of what he says after reading that segment in your book, just so you know. Um, okay. So anyway, you talked about, again, I, you really connected dots in this chapter and I wish I can go into detail. I'm just pulling out highlights for me. If I'm, so I'm being, I'm being prideful right now. You should have wrote that chapter about me as well. So you talked about the Council of Foreign Relations, the uh, CFR. You said, quote, the CFR is a globalist think tank that traces its origins back. This is a long time, guys, to the Paris Peace Treaty Conference following World War One. So again, as I said, this chapter, you really opened my eyes to what's been going on in this country for a very long time. 
In this same chapter, you discuss the Bilderberg Group and this total new one, the Bohemian Grove, which is an all-male gathering in California. Never heard of that. I kind of maybe heard of the CRF, but maybe not really. Can you just kind of put that chapter? So our, our, our Americans who love this country understand, and again, I, you know how I feel. I'm still going to vote. We've had that discussion as well. Um, but America really after reading that we are just a hot mess. Can I say a hot mess around you, Jamie? <laughs> you go with a hot mess. Yeah. So the the chapter on uh, that you're talking about, chapter six on the CFR Council on Foreign Relations, Bilderberg and Bohemian Grove, is in the midst of my discussion of the spirit of power. You know, the Bible paints a picture uh, during the end times, during the tribulation of the Antichrist as being a man of great power. Um, and so, if the spirit of the Antichrist is on the rise, as the Bible says it is, then Naturally, we should see evidence of powerful people doing powerful things at the behest of Satan in this run-up to the end times. And of course, we do. And I cover this over four chapters. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the uh, I, I quote uh, Lawrence Tribe, the Harvard lawyer, uh, who said, the dictatorial hunger for power is insatiable. And it's true. That's what Satan wanted in heaven. He wanted the throne, and he wanted all the angels in heaven to worship him. But uh, God uh, had other plans and said, no way, Jose, and kicked him out, and he took one-third of the angels with him. So Satan's been trying to harness that power and take over the world and have everyone worship him uh, ever since uh, within God's created realm. So the Council on Foreign Relations uh, ostensibly is a political think tank that deals with foreign affairs. In fact, they have a magazine called Foreign Affairs. Um, but historically, for the last hundred years, some, some of the top U.S. officials uh, at any given time have been members of the CFR. Uh, and it is really, uh, you know, could be described as a kingmaking group. I mean, it decides who we're going to invade, what nations we're going to conquer, what who's going to be king of this nation, what leaders of foreign countries we're going to overthrow. Um, and most people who study uh, the Luciferian conspiracy uh, understand that the CFR uh, is, you know, a key element of that conspiracy. And by the way, um, because I don't know your audience all that well, I want to interject here that if you go back to volume one in the beginning, I have a chapter or a section called the conspiracy theory conspiracy. And I go back and show that the term conspiracy theory was actually invented and created by the CIA in the late 1960s as a means of quieting uh, the truth movement about the JFK assassination. So after the Warren Commission a bunch of people realized that it made absolutely no sense. Only an absolute ignorant imbecile would believe the lone shooter theory. There were just too many holes in the theory. So people started asking questions. They started writing books. They started doing their own research. The CIA was tasked with trying to discredit those people. And they came up, and we've seen the declassified memo I, I cited in the book, Um they came up with this notion of uh, calling them conspiracy theorists. It's called a mimetic uh, hegemony, or it's a pejorative term where you make up a term that, that is intended to be insulting, uh, and it's sort of caught on. So here we are, you know, 60 years later, and there have been academic journal articles written about this technique. People still use the term. And so 
today, when you hear the term conspiracy theory, everybody thinks, oh, it's a tinfoil hat crazy person. But uh, they need to understand when they are using that term or hearing that term, they are basically victims of this technique that the CIA created. And you can trace that without question. So I believe in conspiracy theories. Uh, but I don't believe in the ones that are false. I believe only in the ones that are true. And the conspiracy of Satan, demons, and human accomplices to take over the world is very much real. It has been raging for 6,000 years, and the Bible attests to it. But uh, the CFR is is really a, a key shadow government. And what's interesting is, you know, uh, Donald Trump campaigned on uh, being an outsider, and yet once he was elected, he put 67 members of the CFR in his administration, including cabinet positions, federal appointees, other bureaucratic positions, and so uh, in, in key positions too, by the way. So, um, you know, it's, uh, and I'm not criticizing Trump, I'm just saying these are, this is the way the game is played. Um as far as Bilderberg Group, that's another group of uh, elites, not just politicians, but uh, government or rather uh, business leaders and powerful, wealthy people. Um, they've been meeting every year since 1954. They did not meet during the pandemic, like so many other things that got canceled. But other than that, uh, I think they might have missed one other one, but I'm working off memory. But basically about 130 political leaders and experts from industry, finance, academia, media, and other you know outlets are called together uh, to meet and talk about world affairs and geopolitical events. And I, t I talk about this in chapter six of the book. Uh, it's widely been reported that um, the uh, Bilderberg Group was the one that was responsible for, in 2008, for the decision that uh, Obama would be the Democratic nominee and Clinton Hillary would be the uh, Secretary of State. And we have actual, we know they attended the Bilderberg meeting. It was held in Chantilly, Virginia that year. Uh, that has, city has hosted it several times through the years because it moves around to different countries. And uh, mm -hmm. we have video footage of them uh, attending, uh, coming in and out of the hotel and, um, and you know, whistleblowers reported that it was there, that it was decided that, because if you remember, uh, this is in June, it's always in June every year, and the, the campaign was really heating up. Obama and Hillary were neck and neck, and nobody knew who was going to be the nominee. Well, they kind of came to this deal that, uh, you know, she would step aside, give him his eight years, then she would be the Secretary of State, which is a very powerful position in its own right. And then in 2016, she would, you know, get the nomination. And of course, we all know what happened in 2016. She won the popular vote by more, by almost 3 million votes, not quite 3 million votes. Everybody talks about the populist movement that swept Trump into office, but they forget that if you call Trump's movement a populist movement, what does that make Hillary? She actually had more of the populace actually voting for her mm -hmm. than uh than Trump did, if you believe the official narrative. I think it's all artificial anyway. But in any event, uh, you know, that was the plan. So Bilderberg is another power broker. And then finally, Bohemian Grove. I talk about this in uh, the book. I've actually visited the original uh, site of the start of Bohemian Grove. You can't get to the Northern California compound where it currently meets. But um, 
basically it's a private club. They meet for two weeks every year, also in the summer. It's a come and go kind of a thing. Um, they are also kingmakers. That's where they decide who's going to, you know, be what. And, and remember, again, I don't want to get you in trouble, but it's, 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 <laughs> if you read chapter seven of my book, you'll understand that, you know, why I believe that uh, we have selections, not elections. Um, mm-hmm. But in any event, uh, it was uh, Carter was tapped there to become uh, president and he was uh, trained there. It's a very uh, evil gathering. They, they do a mock child sacrifice. Uh, we've had uh, at least two reporters have snuck in over the years and gotten uh, video footage of it. Um, it's satanic. Uh, key leaders uh, that, you know, who's who of political leaders for the last century have attended there, as well as other popular Hollywood types like, you know, Clint Eastwood, uh, Bing Crosby, um, you know, you can see the list of the names in the book, but um, so yeah, all of those are under the spirit of power because it's there where, you know, the power behind the curtain in the dark shadows is being exerted. And then the mainstream media, which of course is complicit. I talk about that in, in volume one with uh, the um, Operation Mockingbird. They come on and sort of announce and make it seem like, you know, everybody has a choice, but it's all preordained. Agreed. So now in your book, um, that's the chapter that we're not going to talk about, UFTA. Um, and I don't know if you can see the mug behind me, but um, one of my listeners, Nancy, she sent that to me. So those st- certainly in the chat, I'm sure they remember UFTA. And uh, we, uh, we've, we've used that quite a bit. Um, actually, here, I'll tell you why. Because regarding the 2020, this, can you read that? It says, UFTA, expression of bafflement, surprise, relief. I forgot I have it on manual, so it's not zooming in. Expression of bafflement, surprise, relief, exhaustion, dismay, disappointment, or a sudden shock to the senses, often a marker of Scandinavian heritage. So 2020 was an UFTA. In yep. more ways than one, it was an oofta. Yeah, you're. If I can chime in, your some of your uh, chat there, they're uh, yeah, you know, they're uh, commenting about uh, Bohemian Grove. I can tell that some of them are familiar with it. But there's a ceremony there that I talk about where they have the mock child sacrifice. It's called the cremation of care. And uh, and whoever put this in the chat, they're correct. We don't actually know for sure whether it is an effigy or not. We presume it is and hope it is. But we also know from all kinds of evidence that throughout the world, the top tier Luciferians are, in fact, sacrificing real children and drinking real blood as they worship Satan the way you and I worship God. Now, that sounds distasteful and disgusting, but it's happening. And we shouldn't be surprised because we know it happened in the ancient Near East, according to God's word, with Baal and Moloch and others. So, you know, depravity is a is a degenerative disease. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. So it's not like they did these evil things a thousand years ago and now we've gotten better. You know, they're still doing it the way we worship God. They do the same thing, but worshiping the evil one. So yeah, good point. Whoever commented about that. Yeah. I mean, you're more than welcome to, to take your time and review some of the comments. I'm really not because it's, it has to do with you. So feel free to do that as I babble on some, because clearly you know, it's in your book. And I've got two um, things to quote here, as a matter of fact. So from the UFTA chapter, chapter seven, um, 
You also mentioned a few things regarding Barack Hussein Obama, Bill and Hillary, Nancy and Joe, regarding their views of Jesus. Now, I want to say this, and please hear me and hear me well. Current chat post stream. (laughs) I believe it's belief through faith alone. My question always is, though, what Jesus do you believe in? That's why it's belief through faith. So you had said some quotes regarding them, and I'm not going to read it. But when I read those, I was like, well, my one would think that perhaps they are a Christian. So, again, what Jesus do they believe in? So I want you to discuss really quick, and this might upset some people. Um, Again, I do believe in voting. I did my vote. JB and I, we disagree on that. Um, I believe that there are some good political candidates. Uh, I don't know if (laughs) there's any left, but there might be one or two. I don't think there's many, Uh, but I do believe in voting. God bless me to be here in America. But as far as the Christian narrative, I feel like we are save America and forget about the lost. I have a big problem with that. Um, So I want to quote two things on page 142 and then also on 145. On 142, you say the Luciferians intentionally introduced and cultivated social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and others with the goal of a globalist surveillance in mind. Now, I'm, I think I'm, I'm guilty of that. I think we all are here today, right? We've allowed them into our spaces. I even have Google Home in my home. Not one, not two, but three. Um, then you also said on page 145, um, let me get to my notes here. So sorry, guys. Okay, so then you said on 145, And I can't say the name, so I'm just going to say C. So we all know what C was. It happened in 2020. Was the test of of social responsibility. A huge number of unimaginable restrictions for public health were adopted by billions of citizens across the world. There were numerous examples globally of maintaining social distancing, wearing diapers. That's what I'll call it mass sidearm stuff, if you guys get my drift on that one, and acceptance of contact tracing applications for public health, which demonstrated the core of individual social responsibility. I'm saying all of that because, again, this part may upset someone, and I am sorry. America was part of this as well. Trump was part of this as well. So when we see our nation as a Christian nation, I really cringe sometimes. I think that compared to Europe, we might look a little better. But once we start getting into some of these chapters that we're going to end with, clearly America is kind of perverse right now. I think we're just downgrading this slope. I don't think that we're coming back. It's kind of like if anyone has ever skied before. You live in Colorado. I'm sure you've been on those mountains. You just can't stop, right? I mean, you can, but you can't. So if you're going down, I mean, it takes... You got to put those skis a certain way. I mean, you really have to make sure that you know what you're doing when you stop. But the problem is, have you ever skied? And have you ever tried to get back up that hill? No, I think we've, 
that traction or this is our downward spiral in my personal opinion. You also yeah, call so- this a prison planet, right? So we're a prison planet. And I'm, again, I'm, I'm, listen, guys, I'm just, I'm tech savvy. I love my technology. I've invited big brother into every area of my life. So in this chapter, a lot of areas, you seemed really harsh to some people reading that. So explain why without some buzz terms being used, you can implement UFTA if you want. All of that kind of put it in a nice little neat little present for us. Yeah. So you're talking about chapter eight. Uh, again, another part of the spirit of power is called the chapter is called global surveillance and the police state. And the quote, the second quote that you gave, by the way, there, I was quoting from a World Economic Forum. Oh, I did. Uh, Thank presentation. you. I sure did. And so I yep. uh, just want to clarify that this is what, you know, what they were trying to do. And so mm-hmm. the the. Uh, the, I call it the control of Irish scamdemic because I, I give 16 smoking gun evidences in volume one, which the biggest chapter in volume one is, is called uh, uh, vaccines and big pharma. It's 50 pages. Uh, and, you know, and by the way, I encourage everybody to do their own research. I don't expect anyone to take my word for it or, you know, we cover so much ground in these two volumes, you know, you're some of it you've never heard of. So don't just assume I'm right. Uh, study it and come to your own conclusion. I have 38 pages of documentation in the first volume and over 60 pages of documentation in the second volume. So you can you can go find those same uh, res- books and resources and do your own research. But um, they clearly rolled out the uh, the pandemic uh, as a means to an end. It wasn't about the virus and it wasn't really even about the vaccine. It was about the vaccine for population control in two senses. And the one sense of literally depopulation, and that's why we see, last I checked, 18 million adverse effects listed on the CDC and, and uh, FDA-controlled VAERS site. I always like to point that out because people somehow think VAERS is like some private group, and but the VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, is governed by the CDC and FDA jointly. So it's their own data. <laughs> And according to their own data, there have been 18 million adverse effects. And I don't know how many people have died. And it's the vaccinated that are dying, not the unvaccinated mm-hmm. by and large. So anyway, uh, it is about depopulation. But more than that, and this is what I want uh, folks to hear, it's about uh, population control in the sense of tracking. If you remember, in the early days of the pandemic, there was a big talk about the contact tracing. And you'd have to you know, if you went out before they shut everything down, you'd have to leave your name and number and they were trying to contact trace you. I talk about this in the book uh, in that in that very chapter, in fact, that you just cited from in volume two. So uh, they're, you know, they're trying to get to that place where they can track and trace everyone. And if the Bible is true, and we believe it is, according to Revelation 13, which you read at the outset of the program, you know, the, the Antichrist is going to be able to exert complete and total tyrannical control over every human being on earth and you'll have to get government position permission to travel to purchase things uh, you name it and so what we see happening this is why i call it the setting of the stage because it's it's the same thing that the luciferians want to roll out now now they some of them are mid level they may or may not know that satan is ultimately going to indwell the Antichrist and that the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to do these things. Uh, if they've read their Bible, they might know it, but uh, but most mid-level ones, they don't necessarily know that. They just think it's a great idea to control everybody and, uh, and to depopulate the earth. 
Now, if I can go back real quick to something you said from chapter seven, which we're not talking about, but I want to clarify, I don't disagree with you or anyone who says uh, that you should vote. My position has always been, if a person, or let's just say you, if you think your vote uh, is legitimate and counts and you have faith in the uh, digital tabulation uh, systems, then you have a duty before God to vote and you should vote your conscience and you should vote for people that represent a biblical worldview. All I've said is if, you know, if like you have your coffee cup you showed earlier, if there's a hole in that coffee cup and you know there's a hole in the bottom of that coffee cup and you start to pour coffee in it and it's just draining right out, are you going to keep pouring coffee in that coffee cup? Of course not. You'd have to be insane to do that. It's just going to make a mess. It's going to ruin your equipment. It's, there's no Nobody would do that. So if you ever get to the point through your own research and through studying the facts where you come to realize that the digital vote tabulation machines are completely hackable, completely rigged, and an 18-year-old whiz kid sitting in a cubicle in Cleveland can completely change the outcome of an election with a couple of keystrokes, if you come to believe that that's true, then why would you vote? I, mean, I don't understand. There's nothing sanctimonious about pretending to go through a system. I mean, they have elections in North Korea and Iran and China. And if I was a Christian living there underground, I wouldn't vote because I know they're all rigged. So I'm just saying, do your own research if you believe your vote counts. And by the way, in many parts of the country, it does. I mean, they still haven't conquered every you know square inch of this country. Um, as long as you it, don't it, live in Arizona, because here yeah. we go again. Same well, I mean, state. I could have written problems. the headlines, and I did, frankly. <laughs> I could have written the yeah. headlines six months ago, just like I could have written the headlines for the 2020 election 15 years ago. I was talking about Dominion 15 years ago. And, um, and Dr. So, Andy Woods had told me that. Actually, yeah. we were discussing you one time, and he had mentioned. So you've yeah. been ahead of the curve for a while. Yeah, so Andy hence the and reason I, are, I want you guys to buy his book, Hard to Swallow, but I think there's a lot of truth in there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I encourage you to get it. Uh, it Andy and I are very good friends. I love him to death. He's one of the smartest guys on the planet. Uh, and we've, we've known each other for many, many years, had many private conversations together. And I just, you know, when you understand that the left-right paradigm is contrived, it was, it was uh, you know, created specifically to make people think they can make a difference you know, uh, then it, it changes your your outlook. Now, that doesn't mean we're helpless or hopeless. There's a lot we can do. But uh, I just wanted to clarify that I am not against voting at all. I think, you know, as long as you believe your vote counts, you not only should vote, you have a duty to vote. Well, I agree with that. And I, I guess I misspoke and I probably should have added more to that because um, that is how, what we've discussed before, yeah. you know, and it's just, I guess, again, and we've said that before, JB, it's hard for me as an American, to swallow the fact, again, this is not just Democrat or Republican. This is both sides. So I don't praise conservatives just because I'm a conservative, right? I, I vote biblically. But this is a both side event. Hello, I was in Florida with the whole George W. Bush and um, Al Gore, I was going to say, Mr. Save the Planet. I couldn't think of his name. Fiasco. You know, that was one of my votes here. It was very, but I, I, again, I think it's been going on for a long time before that. Um, and to your point, if my mug was just pouring coffee on me, again, if I lived in Arizona, Pennsylvania, perhaps even Georgia, again, I think this would be the year, two years after all of that, that I would say, 
why would I even waste my time? They're going to select him anyway. Um, did we answer with that? And you were right. It's so great being called up by your host. He's like, actually, Kim, well, no, I mean, the wrong chapter. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what I love about you. Seriously, <laughs> I do. So thank you. I'm going to hang up now, guys. Bye. No, I'm joking. <laughs> so um, I think we answered that. Do you want to move on to the yeah, next I'm thing ready. that I have? Yeah. I'm ready to move on. Okay. So the next chapter that you talked about um, is in definitely in my wheelhouse. So I had a lot of fun reading it. And it's about the UFO uh, supernatural chapter. One thing that I just cannot wrap my head around, and I know you had a story in there, is I just don't believe in the abductions. I just, I can't, again, it's, I'm not saying it's not true, but to read a story like that, and I'm thinking, is it physical? Are they really sucked up there? Is it kind of like just they visited them in their bedroom? Yeah. But so, anyway, oh, go ahead. Go. Uh, yeah, I was going to just address that. So, uh, by the way, I, I cite this in the book, a, a documentary that I highly recommend is Gary Bates's uh, Alien Intrusion. So uh, for your readers who haven't read the book, uh, and I hope you will read the book, even though we're kind of going, getting you little snippets here and there from each chapter. Um, it's my contention that the UFO phenomena is entirely dimensional and spiritual and demonic. Um now, I've talked about this a lot in the last week. I was on Brandon House. We talked about UFOs. He had me on just for that purpose. And then I did an extended podcast earlier this week on Wednesday. Uh, it's an hour that you can find uh, at the Not By Works Ministries podcast all about UFOs. So I don't want to belabor the point uh, because I know some of our listeners are going to be listening to this too. But uh, but the, the bottom line is UFOs, I have a chapter in the, or a section in the chapter called, I believe in UFOs and so should you, because to, de to deny the existence of UFOs is just, you know, you'd have to be insane because there's mm -hmm. mountains of evidence, 75 years worth of documentation, entire buildings uh, full of millions of pages of documentation, top level military brass and fighter pilots. You know, you go all the way back to 1945 and World War II with the Foo Fighters. And um, I mean, there's just, it's undeniable. I'm not suggesting that every alleged UFO sighting is legit. There's certainly plenty of hoaxers out there and, and logical explanations, but there is absolutely something very real going on that is unexplainable and unidentified. And the government has been studying it for 75 years. They denied it, but they finally came out and admitted it in 2017 when the New York Times broke that uh, bombshell article. And now there have been, for the first time in 50 years, public hearings, congressional hearings about UFOs. But as far as the, um, quote, abductions, again, the, the conventional wisdom among unbelievers and among the Luciferians themselves is that these are little green men, they're aliens and, you know, Martians and whatever. We know that's not true because because that doesn't comport with scripture. But what does comport with scripture is that the closer we get to the return of Christ, we're going to see a massive upsurge in spiritual warfare and spiritual activities. And as I document in the book, uh, I believe this goes back to World War II and the rise of the reinstatement of Israel to the land as a nation. And Satan, who again is not omniscient, when he saw that happening, he sent out his legion of demons to, to do scouting reports and scouting missions and that's a lot. That's why the dawn of the modern UFO era is, is always pegged to 1947 with uh, the Kenneth Arnold sighting in Roswell. 
And I think uh, we've seen an uptick ever since then because we're he's getting ready. You know, he doesn't know everything. But the minute he saw that Israel was going to be a state again, he said, we must be getting close. So I do believe that demonic both uh, uh, possession of unbelievers and oppression of believers uh, is very much real. It's intensifying. And the story that I tell in the book uh, about a guy that I interviewed extensively and uh, interviewed him again as I was putting the finishing touches on the book because I wanted to make sure I had every jot and tittle right will blow you away. Um, mm-hmm. I've followed this stuff for decades. It's been a passion of mine and it's real. I'm not saying the interpretation of it that everybody has is real. There are a lot of false interpretations about what's going on, but the facts are the facts. And it it's just one more sign, Kim, that we're getting close to the end. Agreed. So one thing that I really appreciated um, when I was reading this is you always, when you write, you just, you kind of describe things um, not only from a pastoral point of view, but you, you just give us a little bit more information. So for instance, the word phenomena means to appear to shine. And then you also mentioned that it's used 31 times in the <coughs> New Testament. And I found that phenomenal, pun intended. So uh, someone just had quoted, let me just digress real quick. Um, the use of Ecclesiastes chapter, I knew it sounded familiar. I had to look it up. Ecclesiastes 10.2 about the left and the right. He says that the Bible talks about that. And I've heard this verse used, but that's not really what it means. It says, quote, and I read from the NASB, a wise man's heart directs him towards the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him towards the left. Um, so so there, I don't think I was talking about American voting, but yeah, that was I mean, a good one. I had to there, look it up. there is a right and left in the sense of a right and wrong. I'm not suggesting that the philosophical differences between right and left are false. What I'm suggesting is that the political representation of that is completely contrived. And it really, by now, shouldn't take, you know, more than a double-digit IQ to figure that out. Because, I mean, we've had multiple times over the last several decades where the Republicans, the right, have, you know, controlled the White House, both houses of Congress, and, uh, you know, a majority of uh, Republican-appointed Supreme Court justices. And yet nothing ever changes. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things are getting worse and worse. It was Republican appointed justices that gave us, for example, uh, gay marriage. It was Republican appointed justices that gave us Obamacare. And it was a, a hyper majority on the current Supreme Court that gave us the decision on June 25th. I think it was June 25th of this year, the Dodds decision that said unborn children have no constitutional rights. And that's what that decision said. And you want to separate the real shills among conservative commentators from the people that can think and see through the lens of scripture, you should discard any conservative pundit who said that the Dodds decision overturning Roe v. Wade was a good thing. Anybody who said that is just simply a mouthpiece fomenting division. The Dodds decision was a horrific decision. It completely obliterated any hope that the unborn have of having constitutional rights. Basically, they said, you don't have a constitutional right. Therefore, according to the 10th Amendment, we're going to leave that up to the the states. See, the states Mm -hmm. have no say 
over anything that is clearly spelled out in the Constitution. The states cannot violate the United States Constitution. That's what makes us a constitutional republic. So when the Supreme Court said, we're going to punt and we're not going to give unborn children constitutional right to life, instead, we're going to decide geographically where you can kill your baby. That's what it was. It was a geographical decision, not a constitutional one. The Supreme Court enshrined the reality that the unborn baby has no constitutional rights. Therefore, if your state wants to let you kill it, you they can kill it. And mm-hmm. uh, I understand that right now, the so-called red states uh, and conservative states, some of them have uh, outlawed it, and that's fantastic. Anything we can do to save a life is praise God for that. But in the big picture, you know, it's, it's like a chess game. You can't just, you know, look at one move. You got to see the big picture. And in the big picture, what this has done is set the stage for the continuing degradation and the slouching of, of all states toward a depraved mindset, which is theological. Depravity is a degenerative disease. And, you know, I would ask, uh, ask people to consider which is more likely, that liberal states like Colorado, California, New York are sometime down the future, down the road, going to see the light and recognize that they're murdering babies and repent and pass a law to outlaw abortion? Or is it more likely that the conservative states that are currently standing for the unborn are going to eventually go the way that all of the depraved do and likewise make it legal? And the point is, Mm -hmm. regardless of how quickly that happens, the Supreme Court has issued a ruling that emphatically states the unborn have no constitutional right to life. And that's the tragedy of that decision. Agreed. And you know, another thing, and then I'll get off that topic because we can sit there for a really long time. So again, I'm pro-America, but I'm not stupid either. So even here with this supposed red wave, so even if, I don't want to say her name because I'll definitely get a strike. So KL, even if she wins in that state right now. And then also there's another one. Um, I forgot which state it or is, Colorado. but if they win, it'll set Bo- them over Bo- the Bear. threshold. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, right. Yeah. So my point is, okay. Even when Barack was in office right now, they had an opportunity to not vote, not get anything pushed through. Republicans have no backbone either. There are a few, right. But I don't know what, as we call it, deep state has on these people, but it seems like they talk a really good game. And then once they get in, they don't do what they've promised. So I'm just going to get off my horn on that. I'm just going to say, I I do love living here in Florida. I feel like I have been in this little bubble since 2020 outside of the world. You guys do whatever you want in Florida. I feel like we've been in our own lane. We've been successful. We've been booming. Um, I have not felt the pains of anything. So I have to empathize with people who well, have and have been in those states. Can I comment just a moment on, since we just had sure. the election, a midterm, um, uh, you know, I talk about in volume one, the Hegelian dialectic controlled opposition, some of the techniques that, you know, the Luciferians have used forever. Uh, and so I just want to give my, you know, perspective or my two cents worth, again, don't take my word for it. You can uh, study it for yourself, but, you know, based on 35 years of of studying this and 15 years of studying the Luciferian conspiracy specifically, what happens is every two years, as you know, in our, in our country, we elect all 435 members of the house of representatives. So Mm -hmm. they always only serve two year terms and then we do another election. So 
every two years, there are always going to be a certain percentage of newcomers, who some of whom may be godly Christians, they may be patriots, they may truly believe in, in truth and freedom and, and our constitutional values. Um, and, you know, they are able to get in because, again, they cannot control every single election. They're getting closer and closer to that now through digital technology, but it's still difficult. And historically, it's been very difficult. And so, you know, I'm not suggesting that every single congressman or congresswoman is controlled. But what I know from my research and know from firsthand testimony of, of congressmen is that when a freshman congressman gets to D.C., very soon after their arrival, they get controlled. And it's quite easy to control people, by the way. Uh, you know, some people say, oh, I'm a man of principle. I would never be controlled. And, you know, I certainly hope that's true of myself. But, you know, if someone puts a gun to my wife's head or my granddaughter's head or one of my children's heads, you know, it certainly makes you stop and think. And so, you know, unfortunately, there are psychologically ways to control people. And, you know, the, 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 the freshman congressmen that come in with the greatest of intentions and the greatest of ideals uh, quite often get controlled either through bribery, through blackmail, through enticing them into some uh, compromising position, through money, or just through sheer threats, uh, you know, to their uh, family. So, um, you know, I think uh, when we get all excited about, uh, you know, a red wave or the Gingrich revolution or the Tea Party revolution or whatever, we're a little bit short-sighted uh, because, again, those things never ultimately amount to much of a difference. And that's why Correct. it's a corrupt system that I think mm -hmm. we're not going to be able to change, you know, at the ballot box. Again, it doesn't mean you shouldn't vote if you feel compelled to do so. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm proud of those people who do uh, feel compelled to do so. But uh, I think people need to understand this is a very much luciferian control system and has been really since the turn of the 20th century uh you know the for you know the last 120 years mm -hmm. i'm right there with you on that um i agree but my coffee's been pouring out for many years jb i'll just say that <laughs> <laughs> all right so listen what we're gonna do is we're gonna bring this in for a landing. I'm going to kind of cover a few topics in one. JB is going to discuss them. Again, Ruthie, thank you so much for keeping the link up. Uh, please go out and um, purchase volume one, volume two, give them as gifts. Um, and JB, what I would like to do, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. So if you want to say no, I'm totally okay with that. And then I also have some work on my end to do, but post live stream, I'm encouraging people to also put questions in the comment box. And what I decided to do, this would take about a couple of weeks because, you know, people watch the video, they don't watch it tomorrow. They'll watch it over a course of, let's say a week. So whatever comments you get, I, and again, I'm using paralegal terms, I will draft an email to you with the list of questions. And then when you have time, if you can simply answer those questions, again, in the comment post stream, and then I'll go ahead with each comment, then relay your answer, just copy and paste exactly what you said. Would you be willing to do that for anyone who's watching this post stream? Yeah, you bet. I'll, draft I'll, it all in an email? I'll certainly answer as many as I can. You know, time is always a factor. We've just got Correct. so much going on and, 
and um, right with travel and with interviews like this uh, almost mm-hmm. every day now. But uh, but yeah, I love I love a good theological repartee and discussion, and I'd be glad to to jot down some quick answers. Uh, I've been okay. trying to answer. And again, only to pertaining to this book. If they're if yeah. they're asking a question, how does the rabbit go around the barn? Of course, I'm going to ignore that question. Yeah, no, I get it. You yeah, know, and if it's something that I know that I could not answer, like that I need you, then we'll go ahead and prompt that. So for right now, what I would like, Ruthie, if you want to put that in the chat, um, start getting your questions ready. Again, you want to put the entire question in all caps. And between the three of us, I think we can hopefully get to them. We want to talk about what we have talked about today. So again, put your questions in, and then JB, before we go to the Q&A, we'll answer about the skull and bones. But before I do that, you talked about um, three things or four things really in the book. If you just want to give an overview of that, because I found it fascinating. I'm so glad that you brought it up. You brought up the narcissism epidemic, the Me Too movement, that hashtag, um, not just the Me Too, but that word alone speaks volumes. You also brought in that Christians today, right? We cannot stand upon biblical principle. We have people like YouTube and Twitter censoring us. Uh, I don't really care that Elon is now whoever he is with Twitter. I don't think it's going to change my personal opinion. Uh, Anyway, and then moving into that, you discussed the perversion, the gender movement, and then, of course, the coming of one world religion and our godless planet. A lot to dissect there. Take as much time as you need while people are getting ready for the Q&A. And then if you want to merge into Skull and Bones um, to answer those, uh, that poll, that one. But anyway, the floor is yours. I'm literally just going to sit back and listen. Yeah. So we left off with the spirit of phenomena, which we talked about UFOs. And then by the way, there's another whole chapter in there, chapter 10, about paranormal activity and demonic entities, skinwalkers, shapeshifters, even Bigfoot and cryptids and strange disappearances. And uh, I got a couple of interviews that I've done in there. By the way, we, like I said, we've been researching this for 15 years and I've been, you know, traveled the country, been to all 50 states and and done firsthand, uh, you know, eyewitness, you know, research on a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in volume one and, and volume two. So it's not just uh, speculation or just kind of regurgitating what you might find other uh, writers uh, talking about. But uh, then we got into the spirit of pride, as you mentioned. Um, I'll just throw this in. Uh, We won't talk about it because I don't want to alienate people and we don't have time. But in volume one, I had talked about and promised that in volume two, I would address how I believe Donald Trump fits into all of this and kind of my studied opinion. So that I happen to put that in chapter 11. It's kind of an excursus on what we were talking about. But um, anyway, so readers can can read that and come to their own conclusion. Uh, and then chapter 12 gets into the rise of or, or to the spirit of persecution. And I talk about anti-Christian sentiment in America and how rapidly that we have become a post-Christian nation. I mean, when you get to the point where the government can tell churches for the first time in 1500 years since the era of Constantine, when they can worship, how they can worship, what they can sing, what they have to wear, where they have to sit, how many can attend their worship services. I mean, I don't know what else to call that, but utter 
anti-Christian tyranny. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened. Um, and then uh, the one of the most difficult chapters, which coincidentally, I didn't plan it this way, but it turned out to be chapter 13 uh, in the whole book, is the gender surrender movement and the spirit of perversion. And it just, I mean, I have to, you know, when I would study that, which I've been studying it for years, I'd have to take breaks for weeks at a time just because it's so heavy. Uh, one of our early recipients of the book, you know, sent me an email after they had read the book and they sent a picture of the book with their reading glasses and a bottle of Tums next to it on their <laughs> nightstand. And they just said, man, this is just tough. I've had other readers say they have to, you know, put it down. They can't read it for a couple of weeks. So we didn't intend for that. We're not trying to be sensational, but we're exposing, you know, transgenderism, Hollywood, uh, satanic ritual abuse, mind control. I get into Epstein Island and child trafficking and, and tell some some stories in there that you may not have heard. Uh, and And it's all about the satanic quest for power, which they believe going after innocent children is where they get their power from. That's, that goes back to ancient Near East and pagan religions, you know, going back thousands of years before Christ. So, you know, what, what we need to understand is that the, the Luciferians, they love harming children. That's why they're campaigning on the right to murder the unborn child. Even in some states, if the unborn child is aborted, but somehow they make a mistake and it's born alive, voters, I think it was in Montana, of all places, I could be wrong about that, you know, refused to pass a law that would allow, that would require doctors to to keep the baby alive if it's born alive when it was intended to be murdered. I mean, they love killing mm-hmm. children. That's why they're campaigning and passing laws all across the country to allow teenagers to, you know, even 12, 13 year olds to mutilate their bodies and emasculate themselves, even without parental permission, because they just derive some type of sick power and energy from watching children suffer. Mm -hmm. And so SRA or satanic ritual abuse is very much a serious problem that the Mm -hmm. government refuses to talk about, refuses to give any airtime to. And we get into all of that in that chapter 13. And then chapter 14 is the spirit of pluralism. Obviously, as we've said several times tonight, the Antichrist is going to preside over a one world system of religious, political, and economic power. And in order to get the, everybody to worship the same God, little g, uh, he's got to somehow uh, create this pluralistic mindset so that uh, you know people feel like uh, you know there's no absolute standards and and so we see that happening uh, with ecumenicism and you know the Pope collaborating with Muslim clerics and Jewish rabbis and other religious groups. I give a lot of documentation on that in the book in that chapter. Um, we also see major evangelical leaders, by the way, doing the same thing. Um, so it's just a sign of the times. And then chapter 15, I summarize each of the seven spirits and uh, or the six spirits that we cover in this book, volume two. And then I, you know, one of the most important sections of the whole book is a section called Why Does This Matter? And I give 20 plus reasons this is important and why we need to understand this and uh, what we can do about it. So there's an epilogue in each book. Uh, the epilogue in chapter in volume two 
It's called The Greatest Reset, The Greatest Reset. And I talk about how even though this is discouraging uh, to think about, it really should fill us with hope because as we see things falling apart, it should remind us that one day the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is going to come back and put it all back together again in sinless yeah. perfection uh, when the curse of sin is removed. So uh, anyway, uh, let me talk now about the secret societies. Um, and by the way, I believe in democracy. So if the most votes for our viewers were to talk about uh, Freemasonry, uh, far be it for me to uh, control the vote in uh, the way the Luciferians like to do. And this is Arizona that. here. So we're just going to go ahead and say that everyone who said skull and bone, no, I'm just joking. So yeah, well, Ruth did, she said, said that that was, yeah, let me do both one. real quick. So Freemasonry <laughs> is probably one of the most well-known secret societies uh, traces its origins back to the stone guilds of uh, the 13th century. And uh, I talk about in the book, how Masons swear an oath uh, and, and give the details of that. And again, not everyone who joins Freemasonry is aware of the Luciferian connection at the top level. However, if they listen to the very oath that they're taking when they join Freemasonry, they should be aware of it. Unfortunately, they don't. They think of it like a good old boys club. A lot of people do anyway. Uh, and uh, But anyway, I quote in there uh, from, for example, Albert Pike, and uh, Albert Pike is a leading, uh, you know, was a leading Freemason, uh, a Civil War uh, Southern general. And he says, Masonry, like all religion, conceals its secrets from all except the adepts and sages or the elect and uses false explanations and misrepresentations of its symbols to mislead those who only deserve to be misled. Well, first of all, I completely disagree with Pike. Uh, you know, he was wrong that not all religions um, do that. And certainly, uh, you know, the, the one true religion, Christianity and the God of the Bible, which is not really a religion, it's a relationship. It does not set out to use false explanations and misrepresentations in order to mislead people. But Pike mm -hmm. explains what he means by how, the way Freemasonry is misleading. It says, quote, he says, quote, that which we say to a crowd is we worship a God, but it is the God one adores without superstition. To you, sovereign grand inspectors general, we say this. In other words, there's, he's saying we tell the low level, you know, entry level Freemasons one thing, but we tell the initiated, the adepts, something else. He goes, to you, we say this, that you may repeat it to the brethren of the 32nd, 31st, and 30th degrees. The Masonic religion should be, by all of us initiates of the highest degrees, maintained in the purity of the Luciferian doctrine. Yes, Lucifer is God. Lucifer, God of light and God of good, is struggling for humanity against Adonai, God of darkness and evil. So there you go. Anybody that says, ah, oh, Freemasonry is not a big deal. Okay, just understand that it was founded upon the premise that God is evil, God is darkness, and Lucifer is the true light and he is going to win the battle against the God of creation. So that's uh, Freemasonry. Um, you know, I, I thought it was funny. Uh, see if I could find this. Uh, yeah, this is uh, an interesting thing that goes back to that left-right paradigm. Back during the, uh, after the George Floyd protests, or during the George Ford, Floyd protests, uh, if you remember the, the George Floyd incident in Minneapolis, conservatives all across the country were 
you know, you know, you know, all upset that these protesters used rope and change to tear down a statue of Albert Pike that had been in Washington, D.C. since 1901. And he, of course, as I mentioned, was a Confederate general in addition to being a top level Mason. And, you know, I thought it just so typifies the ignorance of Christians that they would naively decry the decision, you know, to let this statue fall as if Pike is some hero to be celebrated, when in reality, he's a guy that was championing Luciferianism and the worship of Satan. So anyway, mm. people just are so easily misled by conservative uh, television. But uh, the other one that I would really like to talk about is the Order of Skull and Bones. And this is really, really interesting. Uh, Skull and Bones, of course, comes out of Yale University. Uh, it's uh, one of 40-something secret societies that are associated with Yale University. And uh, Anthony Sutton, in his famous book about order uh, the Order of Skull and Bones, uh, gives all kinds of inside information that he was able to glean from leaked documents and other uh, white papers and uh, interviews and eyewitness accounts. Um, but we see many uh, global leaders uh, and especially American leaders, but remember a lot of globalists will send their children, you know, to uh, America to be trained. For example, the uh, uh, Ping, the uh, president or prime minister, or whatever it's called of China right now, that's been in the news. Uh, his daughter is attending Harvard and you see this quite frequently, but anyway, both president uh, George W. Bush and John Kerry, who, by the way, are cousins. <laughs> I mean, do the research on that. But anyway, they were both <laughs> skull and bones. And I give in the book uh, uh, interview, I recite in the in, in the book, an interview that Tim Russert, the late Tim Russert did with uh, Meet the Press when he, during the campaign in 04, he interviewed both of them. And it's fascinating how they responded because they're not able to talk about secret, uh, you know, the, the secrets and the skull and bones uh, initiation. So they kind of brushed it aside and laughed about it, turned it into a joke. Um, but I give, I go into the whole history of it, talk about how influential it has been in American politics. Uh, skull and bones is uh, definitely nothing to trifle with. It is, you know, like most secret societies, satanic in nature. It's not like it's just some club like the you know the ping pong club at your local college it's a pretty deep mm -hmm. uh thing and by the way if you've ever watched the uh movie the good shepherd with matt damon and angelina jolie alec baldwin robert de niro it it really presents a pretty accurate you know portrayal of skull and bones art almost always imitates life because hollywood is so controlled by the luciferians uh and one last thing i'll say about skull and bones and then we can open it to questions uh, and this uh, you might find interesting if you've been watching the news lately, uh, although some people deny it, there is quite a bit of compelling evidence that DeSantis is skull and bones. So just for what that's worth. Oh, my gosh. Why did you have to go there? Why? I mean, just, you just took away my joy. I'm just you know what I feel like right now that I ate a big ghost pepper and now I'm just going to cry. Yeah, I'm just uh, the messenger. Remember, you know, it's all theater. So we will agree wholeheartedly with a lot of the principled things that guys like DeSantis or Abbott in Texas say. Mm. 
But if you do the research, you understand in most cases it's controlled opposition. So I wouldn't uh, hitch your wagon to any of those so-called conservatives. I mean, I like my wagon where it's hitched right now, though, except for these storms. Um, Okay, so we do have some questions and I know we are about 96 minutes in. So I don't want to go fast, but I don't want to go too slow. So maybe a middle ground and we can get because some of these questions are really good. But let me first piggyback with this question and then I'll get to your question, Ruthie, I promise, since that was first asked. But this question actually piggybacks off of what JB was just talking about. So Dale had asked, are all the sects, and I'm assuming he's meaning the um, secret societies, interlinked? And which is the more powerful? That's a great question. Yeah. So no, absolutely not. And I actually answer that question in the book. They're not um, all interconnected. They're more like isolated columns rather than a grid. Um, they all serve different purposes. Um, they, um, uh, you know, the, the the Luciferian conspiracy, and I say this often, but it's very important to understand is not monolithic. And what do I mean by that? Well, monolithic means singularly controlled where one guy at the top, Satan, is pushing buttons and everybody dances and has no say in it. It is very complex. It's very convoluted. There are competing agendas. There are, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, battles and skirmishes and missteps. And uh, again, Satan is not omniscient. So he will the, the, the Luciferian powers that be. And if you read volume one, you know that I, I actually diagram it out and show you at the top tier, there's about six families that are the ones literally taking their marching orders directly from Satan, talking to him, sacrificing children, all of that. Not that there's not more of that, sadly, going on, but these are the top tier. And then there's a second level. Most of them understand that they're part of a Luciferian conspiracy, but not all of them. And then by the time you get to the third level, very few understand the satanic nature of what they're doing. They're just in it for the money or the power or the sex or whatever. But um, it's not monolithic. So at each step of the way, when one of the uh, you know goals that they're trying to you know accomplish in their march towards one worldism uh, is needed, they might enlist one of these secret societies. Uh, depending on geographically where it's located, you know, who who's in charge, you know, like with Freemasonry, for example, if you're a Freemason, they have several secret handshakes, but one primary, you know, that they use primarily is a way to indicate to someone else that they're a Freemason. And so if they, if you're, say, you're interviewing for a job, maybe a top level CEO at some company, if you are a Freemason and there's a Freemason on the hiring committee, the search committee, they are obligated to give you the job. So, and they communicate that through their codes and code language and all of that. So that's how they get their people in power. A lot of times is through these secret societies, but no, they're not all intertwined. They're not all marching to the same beat. They're just evil in and of their, their own individual way and used as needed for Satan's agenda. All right. So a question from our amazing moderator, Uh, Ruth had asked what, is a skin walker. <laughs> okay. So uh, I describe this in the book in chapter 10 on paranormal activity, but it's actually a, a, a Native American term. Uh, and it's a really sad account that I give where it first uh, comes up, but it's uh, it, it first, uh, it's a Navajo term, by the way. I won't try to pronounce it, though I do spell it out in the book here. Um uh, 
But uh, you have to go all the way back to the long walk of the Navajo from August 1864 to December of 1866, which is when the U.S. government deported and basically engaged in ethnic cleansing of the Navajo people uh, by marching them uh, unceremoniously and really evilly, uh, you know, uh, to their Indian reservations that they now have in Arizona and eastern New Mexico. They did 53 different marches during that time frame. Uh, And as told by, you know, one uh, descendant of, you know, the, the Navajo uh, they, you know, the, the soldiers were just horrific. I mean, they would rape and pillage. They would, you know, have their way with the women and children, and they would destroy some of their sacred uh, items. And even though these Navajo were not Christian by any stretch, you know, they had family out. They were, they were uh, keeping their records in like pottery and other things like that. They didn't have you know, pen and paper and notebooks like we have today necessarily. And so it was very much a art form of keeping their family history. And they would just go in these soldiers and just destroy that. Well, according to the Navajo, that made the evil spirits of their witch doctors angry. And so they they started uh, shape-shifting and appearing a shapeshifter. So a shapeshifter, that was, that's the origin of it. But in every, by the way, every Native American tribe talks about it. Um, but it's basically demonic uh, presence that has the ability to appear in the form of an animal. So we, you know, we see uh, demons doing this in scripture at times, but we also see it historically. So if you think of some of the common cryptids like werewolves and Bigfoot and some of those things, those could very well be, again, there's a lot of hoaxes out there. I'm not suggesting that everyone who says, Oh, there's a Bigfoot there that they're, they're legit, but certainly it's, it, it is part of the demonic capability to take on the form of an animal and then instantly disappear. And so uh, I tell uh, some pretty interesting stories about that uh, from some people that have witnessed it uh, in the book, but skinwalkers just basically think demonic activity. It's a synonym, somewhat of a synonym for shape shifter, um, but skinwalker has a specific connotation of native American demonic activity. Okay, so next question is, what is Rastacrucianism? Christianism? Well, so Rosicrucianism is one of those other secret societies, um, and it is uh, the the lar- It was kind of born out of 17th century Europe, as I say in the book. Um, and if you go to the largest order in the world to their website, it's called the Ancient Mystical Order of Rosicrucis. Uh, A-M-O-R-C is their acronym, you know, they kind of talk about how they are receiving special insight spiritually uh, as to the future of the world, and they're safeguarding these secrets year after year ever since the 17th century. It's secret revealed knowledge, demonic, uh, and, uh, and, and, and so they are kind of like the Gnostics, really, of the first century, um, and they again stick together. They they are very secretive, and they are part of a plan to bring in a one-world system of higher attainment to this demonic knowledge. So it's just another secret society. Okay, next question is: uh, 
one that I think a lot of pastors get. So can we turn all of this around or are we quickly heading into judgment? That's a great question. And so, you know, I'm going to answer it biblically. And that is that our job here as believers is to be a light in this perverse generation, as Paul tells us. We are uh, to be the light of the world. We're to make a difference. We're to share Christ with others. Um, and even though we know God's prophetic plan of the ages, which is quite clearly spelled out in Scripture, it doesn't uh, preclude us or absolve us of the obligation that we have to be God's representatives, God's agents in this present age for good and to make a difference. So, but prophetic, <clears throat> prophetically speaking, <clears throat> excuse me, prophetically speaking, we know where this ends. The Bible does not tell a story of mankind getting better and better and better on his own. It tells a story of things getting worse and worse. 2 Timothy 3.13 says evil men and imposters will get worse and worse. And what's going to happen is it's going to get to the point where it's so bad that God says enough is enough, he rescues the church from this present evil age, Galatians 1.4. That's the rapture. And by the way, the rapture does not teach, contrary to what some misinformed people suggest, that Christians are rescued before things get bad and we see a lot of suffering. That's not the doctrine of the rapture. The doctrine of the rapture is that we will be rescued before the final seven-year great and terrible day of the Lord in which he pours out his wrath upon mankind. So it can get a lot worse before that happens. And indeed, for many believers throughout church history, it's been terrible already. I mean, people have suffered unspeakable torture and martyrdom at, for the cause of Christ. So we we dare not think that somehow, you know, we're going to be okay, and then before it gets bad, God's going to call us out of here. That's not it at all. But we know that according to God's prophetic timetable, things are going to get worse and worse. Then the rapture will happen, as you started out the show talking about. It's the next great prophetic event to which the world looks forward. <clears throat> and then all hell is going to break loose on earth as the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan coincide for that seven-year period. And things are not going to get better until Christ comes back, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, and rules in perfect peace and justice and righteousness. That's when things will get better. So we're not going to vote ourselves into, you know, this kingdom. You know, you've got this kingdom now, theology and dominionism, as it's sometimes called, or, um, you know, the... Uh, uh, you know, the whole new uh, apostolic reformation type concept that if we can just elect enough Christians, we can turn this thing around. Well, good luck with that. They, people don't understand the doctrine of depravity if they think that. The only thing that's going to ultimately turn this world around is when the creator of the world in the form of his son and our savior, Jesus Christ, comes back and takes the throne. So uh, it's kind of a yes and no. Yes, we can make a difference. There are pockets of revival, moves of the Spirit of God all across the world. And as long as the Lord tarries is coming, we ought to be doing what the people of God are supposed to be doing. But we need to understand that biblically, that doesn't mean that we're going to see a great end times revival where everything's going to get better. That revival will not happen until Christ comes back. Yeah, and you made a, um, a valid point, and I know your voice, so we'll end up here uh, <laughs> soon. But um, that's that whole seven mountain mandate that a lot of people are not aware of, you know, that really plays into. So my word to caution anyone in the chat or post stream, when you see these reawaken American tours and all of these other 
America First gatherings, um, look out for their speakers. And, you know, one very well named that is within that charismatic, but he's under an umbrella of a different church is Rob McCoy. And yes, I will call him out here on this channel. He is part of that seven mountain mandate. So was Lance Walnew. Um I can see his name, uh, the brown hair. He's on Flashpoint, uh, Mario Murillo. Um, so there's many, many people that are part of that seven mountain mandate that JB just spoke upon about bringing the kingdom. So if they can conquer these seven supposed mountains, they'll bring the kingdom to earth. And that's not biblical. Um, and to me, that's just very religious. And to me, that's very exhausting. So I want to get to this question here. I don't know what this means, and you may, JB. So just so you know, a lot of these comments, which I'm sure you're seeing, um, you're a plethora of knowledge, and that's why I have you on here. So I agree with those comments. And so a lot of people will be purchasing your book, because if I can just speak upon JB um, really quick, uh, every time he comes on, I always learn something new. I enjoy having him on here, and because he is, he's very, very smart. So uh, he just always brings something different to the table. Could you call my mom real quick and tell her that? <laughs> I will. Okay, I'm you. sure. I'm sure they know. So, but you just, you do. It, it's amazing having you on and it's always a pleasure. I, because there's some things that I'm like, oh yeah, I know that. But then when I hear someone else talk about it, you know, like, again, I'm, I'm very knowledgeable UFOs, aliens, um, that how new age deception, but I love hearing you talk about it because you broaden my thinking. So question, is the Albert Pike recreation area slash campground in Umpire, Arkansas named after the Albert Pike? Do you know? Yes, ab absolutely. In fact, uh, he was from Arkansas. I think he was a, an Arkansas Supreme Court justice if I remember right. So yeah, it's absolutely named after him. Now, you know, remember, uh, there are a lot of bad people throughout American history that get things named after them. It's not necessarily the case that that means that park is cursed or anything like that. I don't know much about it, honestly, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm certain that the, uh, that Albert, the Albert Pike we've been talking about from Freemasonry is the namesake of that park. Yes. Um, someone added some more names. So thank you. Yes. I forgot about Hank, um, not Hennegraff. Uh, he doesn't even, he should stop calling himself the Bible guy because he's the ignorant Bible guy. Um, but yes, Amanda Grace, she's another one that people need to stay away from. Greg Locke is yes. Another one. He's on that tour, but um, yeah, Charlie Kirk is involved. So I don't see any other questions pertaining to the topic here today. Um, I appreciate you. And I know he retracted his comment. I don't know if you answered him, but your books, um, he had asked, does it have the gospel and can the unsaved read it? I know I shared oh, I, it with an unsaved person. Absolutely. And and that's our heart. I thought I said that at the beginning that, you know, our, our passion for 25 years has been the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel. And one of my great joys is that unbelievers are picking this up. So, so in two ways, the gospel is central to these books. Number one, it's sprinkled throughout as it kind of comes up in my flow of thought. I often, you know, clearly state the gospel, which you can state the gospel in 10 words, Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. But then in both books, I have an epilogue at the back, explicitly written, specifically written, 
to unbelievers to encourage them to place their faith in Jesus Christ as the only hope of salvation. So it's it's a great book for believers to wake up. You know, First Thessalonians 5, 6 says we are not of the night, uh, we are of the day, and we need to wake up. Let me quote it for you exactly. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. That's talking to believers. But it's also a book that I think will resonate with unbelievers um, because, again, you know, the election, other issues are, are sort of waking people up that things are not as they appear. And this gives them a biblical answer that connects all the dots to the fact that there is a cosmic battle between God and Satan. God wins, and you better trust in Jesus Christ and, and be part of the winning team. Sorry, I'm typing here in the chat. So there was um, someone who had asked, um, and I, so Veronica, so I'm going to call you out because I know that you um, subscribe to me, follow me. So I think, I don't know if there's a typo in that. So we're not saying it's bad to bring people to Christ before the rapture. If anything, that's what we want to do um, is to share the gospel with the lost. So I think what we're trying to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, JB, but let's go out there and share the gospel. Um, I know a lot of people differ on that last Gentile um, wording in the Bible, but we are to share the gospel. We are the great commission until we're raptured. What we're saying is the world is going to wax worse and worse and worse, unfortunately. So even though some may be getting saved, the world is still in a progression of um, just falsehood between apostasy, the church is getting worse, look around us. Not And as, again, we have to stay out of this American bubble that we're always in, right? Um, I was talking to a friend of mine the other night, and sometimes it's so hard for us to fathom eternity because we think with our flesh. Um, that's why we want our pets raptured or we want a ribeye tree. So, cause when, when we live in this world, we can't help, but think, well, I want this in heaven. But I think once we get to heaven, we're going to be like the world, what uh, see what I'm saying? Cause we can't help yeah. but think like that. And I'm as guilty of it too. I think we all are because we live here in the now. And I think JB had said it very well. We, we have the tangible things in front of us and that's yeah. what we see, but yes, we most definitely want to reach the lost. And that's, um, that's the great commission. as sure. you said it. And so, you know, we're trying to live in the now and do what God commands us to do and be this light in this pagan world. We're just also understanding the whole counsel of God, reading the Bible and understanding where it's heading. And so, you know, uh, for example, Jesus promises in Matthew 24, that prior to the second coming, when he comes back to establish his kingdom, prior to that, Everyone on earth will have heard the gospel. That we don't have such a promise in the Bible that that will happen prior to the rapture. It may, and if the church would do its job and pro proclaim the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel, then it would. But all I'm saying is the rapture is imminent. It could happen tonight, and there are still unreached people groups in the world. But Jesus promises during the tribulation, the 144,000 are going to go out spreading the gospel, and by the time of the second coming, Everyone on earth will have heard the gospel. 
So we we absolutely, as you so eloquently put it, have a duty to keep sharing Christ, and we want people to come to faith. And if you're listening to this right now and you don't know Jesus, let me encourage you to place your faith in the only one with the power to forgive sin and give you the gift of eternal life, because he paid your penalty on the cross when he died and rose again, and that's Jesus. Amen. Well, you just, you ended it the way that I was hoping that you would end it. <laughs> so, uh, Jamie, as always, I'm actually just copying something in here in the show notes so they can have it. But, uh, so let me give you my undivided attention now, instead of doing that. Um, you know, I think God put me in a great job as a paralegal to multitask because with attorneys, you have to do seven things at one time and still hear the person who's talking to you while you're <laughs> jotting down notes. So um, let's see. I, I don't know. Uh, could you have a one, one more question? Just can you answer one more and then we'll let you go? Because I, of course, he mentioned, yeah. And, and I uh, want to say, a closing, absolutely. And I want to say a closing comment too, uh, just encouraging people to, to stay in touch. But yeah, absolutely. Fire away. Okay. So um, this right here is, and I don't know, that's why I kind of didn't answer the question before, because I'm not sure if it really has anything to do with what we discussed, but I'll go ahead and answer it because it is a good question. In Zechariah chapter 11, verse 16, it mentions the worthless shepherd comes from the land. Isn't that Jewish? No, I actually responded to that person in the chat. Um, oh, okay. Being from the land doesn't technically mean they are genetically a Jew. There are a lot of non-Jewish people in the land. That's why you in the Old Testament you had proselyte uh, baptism and you had proselyte uh, Jews. So uh, that does not settle the matter. Um, I know a lot of people point to that verse to indicate, oh, he's got to be a Jew. But to me, the biggest uh, indication <clears throat> is that he's not is Daniel chapter 8 and the prefigurement of Antiochus Epiphanes. Remember, Antiochus Epiphanes, 200 years or so, 160 years before Christ, is the foreshadowing of, the embodiment of the Antichrist, and he is a Gentile. And that's what makes the great deception during the tribulation so profound, is that even an unclean Gentile who proclaims to be the Christ, the Messiah, is going to lead people astray. That's the reason Jesus multiple times in Matthew 24 says, do not be deceived, do not be deceived, be not deceived. Many will come in my name. Many false Christs will rise and deceive many. So that he's talking in Matthew 24 to that future tri tribulation generation that will be alive. So I'm, I'm aware of the of the view there. But again, you know, I'm, I'm, I just don't think it settles the issue by any means. All right. So you can end and then I'll let my guests know what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. There's yeah, uh, a lot going on. Thank so you, you can end it are, and then uh, allow me a few minutes. Yeah, you bet. Hey, thank you, Kim. Didn't mean to talk over you there. You are a blessing and uh, you have got a great group of followers. I've just been watching the, the discussion uh, all night as we've been talking. I wish I could have responded to each one because every time someone mm -hmm. types something, I'm like, oh, I want to respond to that. And I, you know, either I yeah. have a different viewpoint or an answer to a question or whatever, but um Thanks for letting me be a part of it. Um, you can stay in touch with us at notbyworks.org. And by the way, that's what NBW ministry stands for, not by works. Titus 3.5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So uh, go to notbyworks.org at the bottom of the homepage. You can put your email address in and, and you'll get our newsletters and all of our uh, updates each week of you know where we're speaking, what, what different uh, things that we do. We do live stream three times a week. Wednesday nights and twice on Sunday. 
So you can check that out at our live stream page. Everything's at notbyworks.org. We are on Rumble. We do have an old uh, YouTube uh, channel that uh, has a couple thousand videos on it, but we don't post there anymore. I haven't for a couple of years. But just remember notbyworks.org. And then uh, thanks for to those of you that have bought the books. And uh, if you want to check them out, go to spiritoftheantichrist.org, spiritoftheantichrist.org. You can click on either book and kind of learn more about them. So thanks, Kim. Let's do it again. Definitely. So yes, I know yada yada. It goes by so fast. I wish JB had another hour because I know I can talk to him. <laughs>